Tobo athletic shoes are designed to help you move naturally with a roomy toe box, secure midfoot, and low heel to toe drop to encourage a midfoot strike. Get 20% off your purchase up to three pairs at topoathletic.com with code TOPOAMR20. Beta Brand's ultra comfortable dress pant yoga pants means your routine can include clothes with professional style and comfort that you actually look forward to wearing. Get 30% off your Beta Brand order when you go to betabrand.com AMR. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories. If you're looking to heat things up, there's a story waiting for you. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com AMR. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined by Ellison Wiest. Hello, Ellison, and Happy New Year. Thank you, and same to you, Sarah. I always look forward to these podcasts, and this is no exception. Oh, me too. Me too. It's just like, oh, there's no, there's no, I'm not like nervous about anything. All of a sudden, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I just get to have a conversation with Ellison about books. Um, so, yes, this is our winter reading podcast. Um, I thought of you yesterday morning. I went running with my buddy Trisha and it was raining and she had been, um, she hadn't been running a ton. So um, we thought, oh, well, well, we were right near the Grant High School track. So I was like, oh, let's go to the track because then kind of we don't have to worry about cars, but also then um, speeds don't have to be exactly matched. Um, right. Yeah. And she did say, she goes, Oh yeah. Then that way, you know, she said, you can do a fast lap and I'll just wait for you. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm running the same pace as you. I'm not, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> it's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. 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 Nice yeah. Yeah. But it reminded me of, I don't know why, but it reminded me of when we ran into each other in 2009 going in the way back machine. Um, when I was training with my coach Lynn and you were training with um, your best running friend, Monica for right. the, for the Eugene marathon. Right. Right. I think that year she, no, I guess we both ran the marathon that year. That's oh, right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's right. Because there was one year that she, uh, ran the full, I ran the half in Eugene. So, and that's where she qualified for Boston. But I, I remember those track workouts. She <laughs> yeah. She threw your paces. Oh my goodness. Wow. I just, I mean, I just sort of can't even believe that I did the times that I did. I mean, okay. Okay. Granted she, you know, is an Olympic bronze medalist. She slowed her role for me, but certainly it was, um, she took my game up numerous, numerous notches. Um, yeah. And I just remember there was one particularly challenging one. And then I had just finished and you guys showed up and I, I was like the, you know, rooster going around the (laughs) <laughs> the yeah. fence area being like, yeah, guess what I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I remember just how much I hated track workouts. Yeah. I would rather do, you know, 20 hill runs than, yeah. Yeah. you know, any, and then we would run home. Uh-huh. And I think it was after that one that Monica wanted to run up 33rd to go home. And I wanted which to is go a big hill. Yeah. <laughs> well, which it's not, a sh- it's not a short run back to your house. I mean, to my house, it is, it's, no. you know, I don't know, back to my house, it's three quarters of a mile. It's, it's easily three miles back to your house from that track. Oh, I don't know if it's that far. I think it's more like about two and two and a half, but you know, after doing yeah. how many, you know, mm-hmm. ladders and track workouts, it wasn't. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't nice, but no, I couldn't even, I mean, these days I think, man, you know, if I could see myself then and give myself a good pat on the back, I would. <laughs> I, know. I know, you know, uh, time is a continuum, but sometimes I think if, you know, if it wasn't, if we could just kind of meet ourselves and, you know, what would I say to myself as the 25 year old runner and the 35 year old yeah. runner? And, oh, yeah. My goodness. Yeah. 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 Um, I tallied my found change for 2021 this morning, right before this, I was a little late to the game and doing that. It is my highest tally ever. Wow. Um, yes. $34 and I think 37 cents. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And that was, I found one paper dollar bill and I found two um, dollar coins sep- on separate runs. And those were my first and second ones ever I found dollar coins. Um, and the closest year to that was, um, I guess 2018 when I found a $20 bill. So right. to have made up for, 
for, you know, $17 of paper money (laughs) that was not found. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, it was um, very profitable. And um, part, I think it's largely because I run so often by myself. So I'm, you know, Molly's not taking home half the haul that I might've otherwise found. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, and, and uh, I think the chain shortage, the national chain shortage shortage, I think it's um, abated somewhat. So, yeah, it's an interesting to me. Sometimes I will say to people, you know, if I get change back, I'll say, do you want to keep this? And they're oh. usually not interested unless it's pennies. Oh, mm. uh, at least down here, there's, they'll say, well, can, you know, can I keep the pennies? And I'm like, sure. Oh, you're so nice. Um, I found uh, 67 cents on my six mile run this morning. I was very oh. fruitful. Yeah. You didn't run 6.7 to <laughs> I, did, I did not. <laughs> I did not. So um, yeah, you know, it's just raining money here in Portland. Yeah, you're you're yeah. missing out. You're missing yeah. Out. Well, maybe 2022 will be your best year ever. Let's shoot for 40. <laughs> I really want to find a Maya Angelou quarter. Yes. That's my, that's my goal yes. for the year. My running goal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just can't wait to get one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so, all right, well, let's jump into books. As I said, this is our winter reading podcast. Oh, except we're going to take a short break, Ellison. And then, then when we come back, we're going to talk books. As a runner for decades and the former athletic footwear editor for Shape Magazine, I have tried a lot of running shoes. So when I tell you that the Topo Phantom 2 is my favorite running shoe of all time, you should sit up and take notice. You might not have heard of Topo Athletic before. They're a relative newcomer in the athletic shoe realm, but the folks who started Topo are longtime industry leaders. Topo was founded on a core mission, help people move better for the rest of their lives. That's why Topo creates products that embrace the body's natural biomechanics and avoid gimmicky design features. They simply want people to feel empowered to move freely and without injury so that traveling the path of wellness can be an ongoing lifestyle. The Phantom 2 puts these words into action with a roomy toe box, yet a wonderfully snug midfoot, enhanced by an ever so slightly stretchy laces that I just adore. The mesh upper, made of 30% recycled materials, is free of overlays, meaning my foot stays cool and there's no rigid extras to rub or bind. Underneath all of this is the aptly named Zip Foam that provides a zippy, yet not mushy, feel as I put in mile after mile on the roads. To try Topo shoes for yourself, the Phantom 2, or any of the other great road, trail, and recovery shoes, we have a special code just for our audience. Get 20% off your purchase up to three pairs at topoathletic.com with code TOPOAMR20. That website, T-O-P-O-A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C.com, code TOPOAMR20. This 20% deal expires on February 28, 2022, so use it now. topoathletic.com, code TOPOAMR20. Think you have to sacrifice style for comfort? Nope, it's 2022. Women deserve better than that. Beta Brand has the comfortable pants women need without sacrificing style, polish, or personality. I'd like to thank Beta Brand for supporting AMR. Go to betabrand.com AMR for 30% off. Find out why women are buying five different pairs of these pants. Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants are designed with the fit and flexibility of yoga pants, but they look like polished dress pants. They're soft, comfy, perfectly stretchy, and stay wrinkle-free. And they serve up loads of variety, dozens of colors, patterns, cuts, and styles, like boot cut, joggers, cropped, skinny, and more. They also have fun, limited-time prints, but those sell out fast, so when you see them, buy them. In addition to the variety of styles, women love Beta Brand dress pant yoga pants because they fit so well. Whether you're sitting at a desk, bending and moving all day, or running all over town, there's no digging, pulling, or squeezing. They move with you so you look good and feel great all day. And get this, they have pockets galore and they're machine washable. Beta Brand is so confident of its pants, they offer a 110% refund. Amazing! I'm wearing a pair of Beta Brand Power Down Pants. These skinny pants are pull-on style with a 3-inch waistband, offering the comfort of a pair of running bottoms, but with the sassy polish of work pants. I wore them at a trade show in December and got numerous compliments on them. Right now, get 30% off your Beta Brand order when you go to betabrand.com slash AMR. That's B-E-T-A brand.com slash AMR for 30% off your order for a limited time. Make sure to use our special URL because it supports our show. Find out why women are buying five different pairs of these pants. Betabrand.com slash AMR. Work deadlines, laundry, making meals. The demands pile up. There's a lot that's on your to-do list, but what should be at the top? You. This year, put yourself first with the help of Dipsy. 
As you've probably heard me detail before, Dipsy Stories is an app full of sexy audio stories. And now they even have brand new written stories. Dipsy allows you to explore your fantasies in a safe, shame-free way. No one needs to be the wiser that you're using the app. Close your eyes and let yourself get lost in the world where only good things happen and pleasure is your top priority. Me? Dipsy fans my fires and gives me a much-needed reminder that tuning in to pleasure is, well, pleasurable. As a middle-aged woman, I find it too easy to live day-to-day without carving out time for intimacy and satisfaction. By listening to a Dipsy story, my current favorite is the series Hometown about a rekindled crush on a hometown honey, I put the moves on Jack instead of just reaching for the TV remote. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash AMR. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash AMR. dipsystories.com slash AMR. All right, E. So as usual, let's start with fiction, shall we? Okay. All right. Well, uh, one of the best books I read all year is by a Canadian writer, and I've been meaning to read her work, haven't until I read Fight Night. And her name is Miriam Toes. It's T-O-E-W-S, but my hockey fan husband (laughs) assures me that that's the way it's pronounced because Toes is a big hockey name. Oh, very good. Thank you, Carl, for that little factoid. Yeah, he's kind of handy. (laughs) (laughs) But I really uh, resisted reading this book because the title Fight Night, um, I'm not a big fan of the cover. And yes, I am one of those people that, you know, looks at covers and can I just say that when I went through and looked up all of your um, submissions, which I will admit at the outset, you did the bulk of the book reading. And so <laughs> the books are mainly your choices, which I fully support. But I was so I was looking all of them up so I could hyperlink to them in the show notes. And I was like, what? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not for me either. Yeah. Not for me either. In fact, I was tempted to, you know, swallow a, a couple of shekels and uh, look at uh, a Canadian oh, copy because you. I like that. Cover much better. I didn't, I didn't do it. I resisted, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but um, so far I've recommended this book to two other readers who have never read any of um, Toe's work and they both love the book. Mm. And it's, it's about uh, centers on a uh, child named, Swiv, S-W-I-V, and her grandmother. And her grandmother's name is Elvira. Mm. And she just calls her uh, grandma, but they live in British Columbia Uh in Vancouver. And they have this just really, really special relationship. Uh, They do not live in what you would call uh, a normal family. Uh, They live with uh, Swiv's mother, who's Elvira's daughter, Elmira's daughter, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And um, essentially, Swiv is just sort of dropped out of school. How she's able to do that, I'm not sure. She's about nine, 10 years mm-hmm. old, and she mm-hmm. takes care of her grandma and mm-hmm. vice versa. Mm-hmm. And the relationship between these two is just fascinating. And the grandmother is one of this ebullient, you know, uh, positive you know, women, even though she's got a host of physical problems. Mm. And um, at one point she realizes that she's probably not going to live much longer. So she and Swift with her mother, their, uh, her daughter, mm-hmm. mother, daughter, blessing, uh, ends up taking a trip down to California mm. to see a couple of grandma's nephews. Mm. And all I can say is that the book is, you know, one part hilarity and the other part, you know, just really get the heart going. Hmm. Um, I do not get weepy at too many books. I can pretty much count on one hand how many times that's happened, maybe two now. But the ending of this book was just really satisfying, but also very poignant. Wow. Wow. And can we take a side note that that's amazing to me that you don't cry over books. I cry (laughs) like a petulant child. Oh my gosh. I just, oh my, I mean, we've talked about before, I think, you know, um, the lonely bones. I mean, I just wept, wept. every yeah. time I picked that book up. Yeah. No, I, uh, the, the book, I think that I've cried the most at recently in recent years was, well, I always cry at um, the incredible journey, you know, mm-hmm. the old book about the three animals that get lost and go off on their own in the Canadian wilderness. Oh. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's a old, much older book, but the, 
Gail Caldwell's Let's Take the Long Way Home. It's a memoir. Oh, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Carl yeah. thought he was going to have to Heimlich me. <laughs> <laughs> Are you okay? No, seriously. <laughs> That's when I was reading uh, The Lovely Bones, every time Jack, my husband, would walk into the room and he'd, he's like, Are you reading that again? <laughs> <laughs> I guess (laughs) they have no feeling. (laughs) I don't know. There's just something I guess. And I cry a lot over TV and movies and um, even sometimes a song. Like, I don't know. I think, I think I like being prompted to cry, like, and just get it out and um, sort of then move on or. or, Yeah. Now movies, movies are a different thing for me. Okay. Okay. So Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So the one novel I can contribute to this conversation is uh, one that we both read. It is A Line to Kill by Anthony Horowitz, who is a talented mystery writer that both of us typically adore and eagerly await each of his new books. And thankfully, he is a um, fairly swift writer so that there are, you know, there's seems like there's always a new one out there. Oh, but, um, you know, I think we both agree that this storyline is a bit thin. Yes, that's exactly the word for it. Mm, yes. I, I was disappointed. I, you know, I was excited because we were once again back to, you know, Horowitz and, you know, his, his sidekick or as, as his you know, detective would say the other way around. But <laughs> I was very disappointed. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so this is the third in a series and um, it's definitely not critical. I don't think you, you might disagree with me to read the two previous novels in the series, but I would recommend it since they're, yes. they're better. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I do love how the writer Anthony Horowitz or a, inserts himself or a fictionalized version of himself into the storyline. Um, I think that's very clever and it's a trope that I continue to find clever even on the third go round. Um, but yeah. yeah, it was, you know, I, I read it while I was on my trip to Costa Rica and it was, um, it was entertaining. It was a, you know, a page turner in, you know, I, I kept picking it up and reading it, but, um, you know, I can't say that I'm going to remember it three months from now. No. And yet it's hit a couple of, um, bestseller and mystery lists. I've really, I, Yes, which really surprised me. I think it was Crime Reads or maybe maybe it wasn't Crime Reads, but it's somebody that had it on their top 10 best mysteries list. And wow. I thought, yeah, no. no, 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 no. But I mean, I do think Anthony Horowitz is an incredibly talented writer and I would yes. recommend many of his earlier books. And um, Foil's War. If you oh. have not watched the entire, well, I'd say all but maybe the last season of Foil's War. Uh, which he, he wrote. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's a TV writer. Yeah. 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 You oh, must well that, do that. That's good to know. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause yeah. he also created uh midsummer murders. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, Foil's get, war is just incredible. Oh yeah. Get your Brit on and watch some, some TV that's with right. the subtitles on. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I realize they speak English, but sometimes it's a little hard to understand. <laughs> well, especially if they're Scots. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. Boy. Yeah. Take the marbles out of your mouth. Sir. <laughs> and I love, I mean, that's my background. So yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. that's Irish all the way for me, baby. <laughs> well, the other one that I was, well, there were actually a couple this year that I, or in the last couple of months that I was surprised that I really liked, but this one is called The Days of Afrikeet, that's mm-hmm. A-F-R-E-K-E-T-E, by a very talented author named Sally Solomon. And this book already, even on the uh, flap cover, it's, you know, been described as inspired by Mrs. Dalloway because it takes place in one day in the life of a woman named Lizelle Belmont, and she is having a dinner party. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she is somebody that's kind of on the precipice of a lot of change in her life because her husband, Wynn, has just lost uh, his bid for the state legislature. And she's always been very ambivalent about his prospects and, you know, it, 
is he supposed to go into politics? But that night they're throwing a party for all the people who helped out with his campaign. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, leading up to this, just a couple of days leading up to this, Lizelle finds out that her husband is being investigated by the FBI. Ooh. So, uh, you know, there are all these questions. She's been contacted. Um, you know, she's she's trying on one hand to keep all this knowledge from anybody else and going through with this party. And yet she's wondering what's what's going on. Mm-hmm. And has she has her marriage become gotten to the point where she really doesn't know her husband? Mm-hmm. Well, meanwhile, her mind keeps going back to a woman uh, named Selena that she had a relationship with back in college and they haven't seen each other in years, but both of them have been on the other one's minds and the two stories sort of overlap, but not in a confusing way at all. Mm -hmm. Um, The characters in this novel are pitch perfect Mm -hmm. and it's a, it's a slim book, but it's one of those where you just feel like, okay, I need to know what's coming next. I need to know what's coming next. Mm. Um, so there's an underlying sort of suspense in what I would call a literary novel. Mm. Wow. Well, yeah. you you had told me such good things about before that I um, just checked my hold list at the Multnomah County Library and I saw that I have moved up in the list because you sold me on it before. So good, but good. There's, well, as, as with so many books at the Multnomah County Library, there's a long wait list for it. So. Yeah. yeah, but I tell you, I, like I've said before, I miss that library because, you know, when you're in a small Southern town and reading is maybe not as high on the list as it is, you know, Multnomah County, you know, they could, they put levies up for libraries and pass. pass. (laughs) I don't even know why they don't bother just, Hey, here's what we're spending this year. But um, yeah. Yeah. I miss that library. Oh my goodness. All right. And your next one has an interesting title. It does. It's called Chouette. And I hope I'm pronouncing that all you French majors out there, feel free to scream at me, but it's C-H-O-U-E-T-T-E. Uh, it's uh, by Claire Oshetsky. And this one was another one that I really sort of kept pushing back on and pushing back on. And I actually got a copy from the library, read it, just devoured it and decided I had to have my own copy. Wow. That's um, saying quite a bit. It is. It is, especially these days. But um, it's amazing because it talks about essentially what a woman has, and I won't go into all the background details, but this woman named Tiny has an owl baby. (laughs) Um, And that was the part that I was like, okay, because I am not usually a fantasy fabulous person. (laughs) And, but you read about this and it's so convincing. And then as it goes on, you know, she's raising this child pretty much by herself. Her husband refuses to admit that there's anything wrong with the baby at first. Right, right, right. And I should say that, that she she births this baby. It's not like oh, she yes. f- she finds it fell out of a yes. nest. This is yes. this is the child that she bore. That's exactly right. In mm-hmm. fact, the first line. So I'm not going to be killing anything. Is um, where she's actually dreaming that she's making love with an owl. Mm. Uh, And two weeks later, she learns she's pregnant. And she says, you may wonder, how could such a thing come to pass between woman and owl? I too am astounded because my owl lover was a woman. So, you know, that sets Wrap your head around that one. Yeah, exactly. So you're going into it with this, but, you know, she's running into all these things. Like she realizes the owl baby doesn't eat formula the owl baby wants meat dead things <laughs> Grubs. and yeah. you know she's doing all these things and as the book goes on and the the child gets bigger and uh, she is having to sort of stand between herself and other people who think see this child and think there's something very very wrong with this child especially her husband and his family mm-hmm. and what it is you know the more you read about it of course what you start realizing is Ashetsky's talking about people who have children who are different yes and yet she does it in such a subtle way but you know there are these 
you know, trips to doctors, there are trips to healers, mm-hmm. you know, very different things. And what was interesting was right before I read the book, I heard an interview with Oshetsky on NPR. Mm-hmm. And it sounds to me, she never kind of comes out and says it, but apparently she has a daughter who is talented in many different ways, but she says her childhood somewhat reflected mm-hmm. the childhood that she writes about in Chouette, mm-hmm. uh, which is the child's name. And so I thought it was just a wonderful way of explaining in this sort of fantasy language, how mothers whose children are different in some respect, physically, emotionally, mm-hmm. whatever, or are seen by other people as odd, mm-hmm. that there is this love that you have for this child and how you want all the good things for it and how you have to work so hard mm-hmm. to attain those, those things, uh, those methods, those feelings. Um, that attention that your child deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really cannot recommend this book I- I more. I mean, I just thought the way that she handled it and um, even the fantasy bits, which here again, I'm not always right on board with it. Um, were just marvelous. Wow. It's also intriguing to me that you said that she does it in such a subtle way Yet the baby yes. is an owl, like which is right. not right. at all subtle. Subtle. That's right. She must be a very talented writer. <laughs> that's right. Well, I think what she the what she does is on one hand, yes, the baby is an owl baby, but at other times when she starts talking about like her husband, she and her husband constantly fighting about what should be done and you know, water therapy and you know, let's do this. And so you become so sort of uh, wrapped up in mm-hmm. that and what's going to happen that every once in a while, when she mentioned the owl baby, I was like, oh, oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> he said, who, who? Yes, exactly. So, so let's take a um, little bit of a, a um, scholarly side trip. One reviewer called um, Chouette contemporary fabulism. And another book you recommended to me, Allison, um, it's called The School for Good Mothers by Jessamine Chan, was lumped in the fabulism category. So, Professor Weiss, do you see this as a burgeoning trend these days? <laughs> you know, if I had to think about it, um, and of course, we should mention that a school for the school, a school for good mothers just came out this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, despite what people are saying about uh the pandemic uh, that, you know, people are reading more, but maybe they're just reading some of the same things. I do think there's a bit of a trend to just move away from how we've all had to function in the last almost two years now. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's where my mind travels is that we all have gotten into daydreaming. We all are sitting back and observing society. That may just be me. What about you? What do you think? Hmm. Um, and whether it's escapist. Yes. Um, or, you know, trying to help us escape. Yeah. Yeah. To make it um, so fabulously unreal. Yes. That, that um, yeah, because it's it's interesting. I know sometimes with watching television and when uh, TV shows that are contemporary don't address the pandemic, it's like, huh, okay, is that like a parallel track that that's happening in? You know, <laughs> the, the, right. Um, so yeah, I um I don't know. I have to say when I see that a a book is um labeled, you know, as fabulism, I steer clear of it because it's it's not my milieu that um. You know, I used to like science fiction. Like, I loved Ray Bradbury. We've talked about that before. Um, and I realized that science fiction is different than that. And, you know, I, lo- I love, as you know, I love apocalyptic novels. Although right. they can be tough um, to read during the pandemic. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, yeah. I tried to um, Google to see if there was maybe, you know, a, I don't know, Medium or a um, Vox article about it or something, but I couldn't find any. Maybe I'll have to dig a little deeper. Well, and it may be that we'll have to, you know, this time next year, we'll be talking about several more 
just mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So trend spotters, Sarah Bowen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> yeah. Now the next book that I read, um, did make a, a ton of best of 2021 lists mm-hmm. and it's called intimacies by Katie Kitamura. And this one, I have to say, I have never felt so inside the skin of a character as wow. I have with this book. Wow. Even though the character is unnamed. Huh. And um, essentially she's an interpreter who has come to the Hague mm-hmm. uh, to escape the death of her father in New York. And uh, she was raised speaking several languages. Um, and she's hoping that maybe this will be a place that she can finally call home after a sort of peripatetic um, childhood. But um, she meets a man shortly after she moves there and starts work who's separated from his wife and they start a very intense relationship. Hmm. But of course uh, it's, it's a little difficult for her because there's, separated her her lover and his wife are not divorced yet Mm -hmm. uh meanwhile she has uh made friends with a a woman and these people are named her her friend jana witnesses this sort of horrific random act of violence outside of her apartment Hmm. and our narrator the interpreter finds herself sort of drawn into hearing about this act of violence. Hmm. Now, then at work, what happens is she's pulled into this huge political controversy because she's asked to interpret for a former president uh, who's accused of war crimes. Uh So you've got a number of things going on in her life. And Kitamura just, I mean, I would kind of come up from reading this book Mm -hmm. and feel, you know, look around my room and think, okay, all right, well, whoa, that's right. I'm back at home because (laughs) I don't know how she does it, but you become that character. And that's very, for me, that's extremely rare. I mean, I have characters that I'm very excited about or that I think are so well drawn and I love getting back in touch with them. But this was very different for me. And in some ways that made the book a little bit more disturbing, but also Mm -hmm. a little bit more fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if partly the um, fact that the narrator doesn't have a name that allows you to just slip right in. That might be, Mm -hmm. that might be it Mm -hmm. very well. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, sounds fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. And you have some historical fiction that you love. Oh, yes, boy. Um, I love historical fiction. I always do, especially as a teenager. Mm -hmm. But I have found now that historical fiction either, you know, as Hillary Mantel, well, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to, you know, make my way through her trilogy (laughs) of of books. And, you know, it's like, okay, what if I just read 20 pages a day, not to besmirch her because she's a fantastic writer, but she's pretty dense. And then there's people like, you know, Philippa Gregory, who are more what I would call uh, entertaining historical fiction. Uh Uh So I was very excited to read a first book by Lucy Yego, J-A-G-O, who's Uh a Brit, and it's called Annette for Small Fishes. And it is fascinating. Uh, She really balances the scales with very, very good historical, um, um, you know, historical, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The detail. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the characters are just wonderful. It's actually based on a real person, Francis Howard, who in the early 1600s was the very young and beautiful wife of the Earl of Essex. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a very unhappy marriage. And uh, at some point she becomes friends with a, a woman named Ann Turner, who is a very talented dressmaker hmm. and is, is married to um, an older man and they have six children in a very happy household. But what happens uh, sort of at the same time is 
Francis's marriage becomes more violent, uh, more distressing, more dangerous. And Anne, Anne Turner's husband dies, leaving her a widow with six children. Mm. Uh, Her oldest son inherits everything and essentially puts his mother and her youngest, her three, four youngest children out. Oh, shoot. Um, So she is, is trying to, to make her way. And she and Francis develop this very intense relationship where they each want what's best for the other person. Uh, But this is a Jacobean court, and Mm -hmm. that was an extremely dangerous, volatile place to be in. So I really think that uh, this is for somebody that likes their historical fiction needy, but (laughs) very, very... um, interesting and and fascinating um plus with a you know with a spice of mystery in there as well wow and is it a super long book um no i've got it right here let's see it is uh 330 pages long oh because to me historical fiction is always like okay let's set aside two months to read this book (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And I've got to just interject here because I'm thinking about it. I did find a cozy mystery, uh, mm. historical mystery series uh-huh. uh, that I really like. Same thing, a lot of detail, uh, not cozy in the sense of, you know, uh, cats on the front cover and everything, but it's by a woman named Kate Saunders, S A U N D E R S. She's written three of these. A, deal with a uh, the widow of a vicar mm-hmm. who lives uh, in the 1850s in London. And mm-hmm. I would recommend that to anybody that enjoys a cozy mystery, but enjoys it again with a little meat on its bones. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Well, um, one novel that I am eagerly awaiting this spring, and I suspect you might as well be I'm looking forward to it, Allison, is um, Sea of Tranquility by Emily um, Sinjin Mandel. Yes, yes. The uh, author of the thought, utterly thought-provoking 2014 debut novel, Station Eleven, which is- Oh, not her debut. Yeah. Oh, it was. Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay, yeah. All right. So a thought-provoking 2014 novel, Station Eleven, um, which just now um, wrapped as a limited series on HBO Max, which I haven't watched any. I'm going to, I need to carve out time to watch that. Um, So- um that next novel after station 11 was the glass hotel and that was just way too slow paced for me it was yeah i think i liked that more than you did yeah Um, yeah yeah. so but sea of tranquility veers toward apocalyptic fiction so um i'm all in or or um Maybe it's not about, I don't know. There's definitely, um, there's colonization of a moon in it. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's definitely set in the future. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So that comes out in April. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. Um, And then, like I said, it's on HBO max. Um, It's been getting really good reviews. And so um, speaking of novels turned into TV or movies, I am about now halfway through the audio version of The Lost Daughter by Elena Ferrante, which uh, just debuted as a motion picture starring Olivia Coleman. Yes. And um, have you read that novel? Uh, no, I am not here. I'm probably going to get oh, booed. You're going to get his, stones but... thrown at you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not an Elena Ferrante fan. I have oh. tried twice. I have had people shame me, you know, and the, you've got to try it again. You know, <laughs> and, and one friend had said she would sit with me while I read the first <laughs> 50 pages. And, but um, I want to watch the, the Netflix movie. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I just think Olivia Coleman is just brilliant. Yes. Oh, she is. I would watch her in a toilet paper commercial on a loop. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yes. Seriously. I mean, the woman can do no wrong. Did you watch Landscapers? Not yet. Oh. Not Is that? It, it's is that... fascinating. Fascinating. <laughs> Four-part series. Fascinating. It's incredibly um, kind of artistically dark? done yeah it's dark but it has a it's quirky in the way it's filmed and i'm not quite clever enough to get all the um reasons why they did what they did but she and the man who stars as hit her husband oh mm-hmm. they are just genius actors just <laughs> genius and oh oh my gosh olivia coleman i mean i yeah. just want to build oh, a yeah. shrine to the woman 
Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the movie's been getting rave reviews. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Sounds interesting. So I started listening to it. Um, so far the book is definitely a very slow simmer. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, so then this morning on my run, I'm like, okay, I got to listen to a little bit more of this. It's a, it's, I think the audiobook's only five hours long. Um, oh. so yeah, to go for, you know, yesterday when I wrote the notes for this, I was about, you know, a third of the way through. And now after my run, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm halfway through. Um, so finally a little bit more is revealed. Um, but yeah, so she plays a divorced woman, um, an Italian who goes to, um, Greece, an island in Greece for a summer holiday by herself. And she, her ex-husband lives in Toronto with their two daughters and she got married quite young. So had the children quite young. And so there's a backstory that gets slowly unfolded as she goes to the beach every day and watches this other Italian, large Italian family and kind of their family dynamics. It makes her think about her own, um, backstory. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love Olivia Coleman. So yeah, I'll be watching that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, maybe we have a Netflix party or something. We watch it together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, okay. So let's veer back to actual books and nonfiction. Uh, yes. I'm really excited about the books on your list. Well, the, the first one is uh, by Ann Patchett. Um, and you and I both adored her latest novel, which yes. is The Dutch House. Yes. And uh, if you read uh, her latest book of essays, These Precious Days, you will find out, Sarah, mm-hmm. who painted the oh. cover photo. Oh, and it's an actual it's an actual painting. It's a uh, he's an uh, artist in Nashville uh-huh. and she actually has it bought it. It's in her home. Oh, interesting, um, because you and I had debated about that, like whether they yes. had it painted for yes. the cover itself. And can we have that job where we get assigned to do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, so it, uh, that was, I, I loved hearing about that, but, um, Ann Patchett of course is, is, is one of my favorite writers. Uh-huh. And I think she does, um, essays as well as she does fiction, but there's sort of a funny backstory. Uh, this past summer, um, when I went to see my father, finally seeing him after almost two years, uh, I was up there and he uh, came into the dining room one day and my father at the time was 91 years old and, um, uh, or excuse me, 92. And he tossed this uh, New Yorker on my lap and said, there's this great essay in there by this woman named Ann something. Uh-huh. And uh, I've, I've marked it for you and you should read that. I think she's a, a writer to watch. <laughs> 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 my father reads very little fiction, very little. My brothers were the same way. And uh, so, of course, it was it was Flight Plan, the name of the essay by Ann Patchett. Uh-huh. So uh, Patchett has a, a bookstore in Nashville, Tennessee called yeah. Parnassus. Uh-huh. And so for a Christmas, I uh, got them to got her rather to uh, inscribe a book to my father saying, Ooh. you know, I'm glad that you discovered me. <laughs> I love that. That is yeah. awesome. Oh yeah. I God. was so, he was so excited about it. And of course he says to me, so are you and, 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 and the author good friends now? <laughs> <laughs> I had to dispel him of that, <laughs> but these are wonderful essays. Uh, they, you know, run the gamut from, you know, kind of humorous takes on things like, oh, you know, the joys of knitting uh, to the the main essay, These Precious Days, which is about her friendship with um, Tom Hanks's assistant, Tom Hanks, huh? the actor mm-hmm. named Sookie. They became very close. And in the beginning, she talks about, and I just love this, she talks about how when you so often when you meet somebody, you may be in their presence only for a couple of minutes, but you just have this feeling that, oh, I really, really want to spend more time with this person. Uh-huh. And that's what happens between her and Sookie. Um, I had forgotten or did not realize that Tom Hanks actually did the audio version of the Dutch house. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did know that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but right. these are just you know, the kind of essays. And of course, what I love about essays, and I know you do too, is, you know, you can dip in and out of them, but I have to say that this one, I pretty much read 
all the way through in a couple of days because wow. it was just each one of them was just a real nugget. Oh, wow. I know that um, I mentioned it to Dimity yesterday and she said she'd bought it for her husband, who is also an Ann Patchett fan. Uh, she bought it for her grant for Christmas. And then with the ulterior motive that then she herself would get. Yeah. The book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and, and when I looked it up online, I saw the pages are decal edged. Oh, oh, be still <laughs> my heart. It, I'm not seeing that as much. And I'm hoping maybe somebody in, in uh, somebody of our, you know, one of our tribe can tell us, is it, I'm, I'm assuming that it's a financial thing mm, that mm-hmm. it must cost more I to do decal edge, although I wouldn't think so, but maybe it does because I'm not seeing as many of those now. Mm. Bring in, um, bring so. in Ellis and bring in decal edge back. Uh. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Come on people. I, I know that I, I should say good on Kanaf because uh-huh. I know they've done some, but Patch's book is uh, from uh, Scribner. No, Harper, Harper, uh-huh. excuse me, Harper. I have to keep saying that so that <laughs> yeah. we'll keep you in its good graces. Right. That's exactly right. <laughs> and speaking of Nashville writers, uh-huh. uh, Margaret Wrinkle, um, mm-hmm. has a second, this is her second uh, book of essays. Her first one was called late migrations, but her newest one is called Graceland at last. And the Graceland, subtitle is, isn't it finally? No, Graceland at last. I bet I put finally on the show notes, didn't I? You did, you did, yeah. Mm -hmm. I should be flogged. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get Carl right on that after we finish. (laughs) Well, let me at least read read the proper subtitle, which is Notes on Hope and Heartache from the American South. And you and I both uh, know Rankle because she uh, is writes opinion pieces about. I guess, what is it, twice a month for the New York Times? It seems about that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's about that. Um, and these are the ones that are collected uh, from that. And she divides the book into six sections. I know there's one on um, the environment, flora and fauna, hmm. uh, politics, and social, I think, social action, uh-huh. uh, family. And each one of them, I mean... <laughs> I'm just in awe of people that can take essentially what comes out in the book is, you know, two pages and a half, three pages, and just take this little tiny element, a little tiny idea and expand it and then contract it to the end. So, you Mm. know, it's, she's just, just so talented in that regard. And Mm. she is not going to be, uh, she's not an essayist who screams in people's faces and, you know, uh, makes you feel bad a thing. She brings things to your attention. Mm. She often talks about how she can see the other side and Mm. then she, you know, calmly goes about her way. Um, Mm. So just, just lovely. And this one, I would say you can sort of dip in and out of Mm -hmm. uh, if you wanted to. Okay, good. Yeah, it, it has um, come across my radar numerous times and I've looked at it, contemplated it and um, just not picked it up, but you might have convinced me. Yeah, so, well, you need yeah. to. And I, I want to go back and read her first one now. So, Oh, good, good. Yeah. So, so um, my contribution to nonfiction is um, The Secret History of Home Economics, How Trailblazing Women Harness the Power of Home and Change the Way We Live by Danielle Drelinger. Um so I know people must be like, what? Like, why do you think that's an interesting <laughs> book, Sarah? <laughs> but uh, it, it did make NPR's, um, you know, top books of 2021 list. Oh. And so that's where I first saw it. And um, my recently departed mother was a home economics major at Ohio University. And I forgotten that. Yeah. And just for the longest time, I'm talking up until the past decade, I always like was like, my mother basically majored in being a wife and mother. Like, just was like, yeah. how, how do you, how is that a college major? And um, she would try to explain it to me and I just could never grasp it. And finally, I actually saw an exhibit at um, San Francisco airport that was all about how um, the new appliances, um, you know, refrigerators, freezers, um, more updated stove, electric stoves, things like that, 
um, really boosted the demand for home economists to teach people how to use these products and how they could improve their lives, improve their health, um, you know, kind of allow them to control sort of what was going on in their life. And so that really opened my eyes some. And then this book continued to do so um, because home economics, actually, it fueled opportunities for women in the 20th century by reducing domestic work, providing all sorts of jobs, professors, engineers, chemists, business people, because it's a surprisingly scientific um, um, subject of, you know, mm-hmm. study. Um, and so actually, um, I'm a terrible present giver. And I finally sent two Christmas presents to my mother last last year. And, and I mean, I I can already laugh about it. I know that my mother was, my sister opened my mother's um, Christmas presents for her. And so, but at that point, my mother was kind of in and out of consciousness, I think. So, so I don't know if my mother ever heard that, that I finally was catching on to how important home economics is. Um, but, uh, I am reading it and, oh, it's such a well-written book. So, so, you know, it really shows how, you know, a topic that by its very name, home economics almost seems like it, it subjugates women to staying in the kitchen. Um, but it actually provided them so much freedom and was, um, both for, um, white women and women of color. And, um, it was really, really very interesting. Hmm. And did you in high school ever take a home economics class? Because I remember many, many tears mm-hmm. shed over the one home economics class that I took in eighth grade. It was, uh, so that was a middle school uh, class. Yeah. It was one of two of the lowest grades I ever got. One of the two C's yes. I ever got. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Yeah. Are you kidding yeah. me? Um, yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> It's mainly because the um, skateboard pillow, um, (laughs) pillow shaped like a skateboard that I sewed was atrocious. Um, And I guess I played the game of life poorly because that's what we played. That's what we did in home economics was played the game of life, the board game. Um, Yeah. So it definitely was. We had um, we had three kind of um, we had three shop classes, shop related classes, and then three kind of. more domestic arts type classes. And so oh. home ec was one of them. Yeah. Well, mine was a straight on, straight on home ec. And I know why I got my, it was in Canada. So it wasn't a C, but it was a <laughs> poor grade, but I was supposed to make a skirt. And so my mother was helping me somewhat at home and we got to the point where I really wanted to finish it. I was just sick of it. And <laughs> we were supposed to cut Uh, the bottom of it for the hem. And my mother had to go somewhere and she said to me, do not cut this before I come home. (laughs) This isn't going to end well. (laughs) What did I do? (laughs) You cut it before she got home. And thinking, you know, I kind of like eyeballed it. You know, you're 13. You just want to get it over with. I, 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 oh my goodness. It was barely legal without a hem. I still, it was a blue kind of toile pattern. And I still remember, (laughs) you know, and that was, oh Lord, over 50 years ago. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to have nightmares tonight. I know it. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, so despite people having traumatic home economics class experiences, I found the secret history of home economics to be uh, enlightening and um, empowering. Okay. All right. Well, maybe that will take my nightmares away. Um, (laughs) Speaking of nightmares, um, the last book that I want to talk about in nonfiction was actually, it actually won the uh, National Book Award uh, for nonfiction uh, Mm -hmm. this past year. It's called All That She Carried, The Journey of Ashley Sack, A Black Family Keepsake by Taya Miles. Mm -hmm. Um, This was a, it's a very, very important read. I encourage everybody that's listening. I, I really think everybody needs to read this book, but it was an extremely tough book mm. uh, to read. And particularly for somebody who was spent most of, was raised most of her life in South Carolina, where uh, the bulk of this book takes place. Oh. And um. I'm just going to read from it because that will, I think, help me. Uh In the 1850s, South Carolina, an enslaved woman named Rose faced a crisis, the imminent sale of her daughter, Ashley. Thinking quickly, 
She packed a cotton bag with a few precious items as a token of love and to, and to try to ensure Ashley's survival. Soon after, the nine-year-old girl was separated from her mother and sold. Now, decades later, Ashley's granddaughter, Ruth, embroidered this family history on the bag in spare yet haunting language. And if I can, I'm going to read what was on the bag. It's like a, a feed sack. Mm -hmm. And she embroidered, my great-grandmother Rose, mother of Ashley, gave her the sack, this sack, when she was sold at age nine in South Carolina. It held a tattered dress, three handfuls of pecans, a braid of Rose's hair, told her, it be filled with my love always. She never saw her again. Mm. Ashley is my grandmother. And then she embroidered Ruth Middleton, 1920. So... <laughs> This bag was was found and uh, eventually made its way um, down to uh, a, a plantation in South Carolina, Middleton, and then eventually made its way back to the Smithsonian. And the author, Taya Miles, decided that she wanted to investigate as much as she could about who these women were. And it's, of course, extremely tough because, you know, you think about families, you know, uh, white families of privilege are usually able to go back and say, oh, in the 1850s, you know, this mm -hmm. is my great, 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 you know, how many greats grandfather, this is where my family was living. Um, that's not the case for black and brown people, uh, especially those that were enslaved uh, in this country. And so it's a you know, monumental task. And yet she goes about it in such a precise and diligent way that she's able to come up with uh, information. And at the same time, she uh, looks at the items that were in the bag and, and takes a broader picture of them. Like, why would uh, Rose put, have put in pecans? Well, yeah, yeah. they're a great source of, of protein. Um, they're all over here. I mean, I, I grew up with you know, pecan trees all over the, the place. And um, she takes those little bits and really expands on them. But she also takes a really, really deep dive into uh, South Carolina's history. Mm. And it's not pretty at all. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I say this and I know people are saying, well, I don't want to read that because, <laughs> oh my gosh, it sounds totally depressing but i think what it really does is 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 brings a lot of this into a very personal uh personal light and and just it's just uh, it's gut-wrenching but at the time at the same time i just feel like you just have to read this and you know you want to find out what miles finds out and how she finds these things out and some of it does have to come as supposition but then she backs that up with records um throughout history especially in the 19th century and um it was just a fascinating but extremely heartbreaking i mean it's hard for me to read what was on that bag. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, Think about I, I was glad you were talking because I was wiping tears off yeah. my face. Yeah. 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 But, but yeah, I, I think, mean, but I think back on past podcasts we've had and that you've recommended difficult books. I'm thinking particularly of um, um, rise and fall the yes. um, about the twin towers. And um, I thought, why would I ever want to read a book that goes into really, really deep, deep detail about the, the lead up to that day and that day. And, but there's learning about things makes you be able to um, see them and seeing them is so important. And, yes. And, um, you know, not seeing them doesn't make them not exist. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, this, you know, it's so well researched. It's just, I don't know. And it's under 300 pages when you take away the, the, the notes and everything. Mm. So it's not, um, it's, it's, it's exhaustive in a lot of ways, but not in a way that will exhaust the reader, if I can put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's just a very important and moving book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us and recommending it. Yeah. 
Um, so as always, I just love talking about books with you, Alice. I know, so thank I you. do too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, um, well, very good. Very good. So, um, I will let you go. Um, so, uh, it was yes. Good. And I'm reading, you'll let me go to read. I'm starting to read Olga dies dreaming, which huh? is a new book, uh, that uh, just came out. So, oh, all right. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to it. Get to it. We will. We uh, will. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Uh, all right. Love you. Happy Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Bye-bye. All right. All right. Well, I would love for you all to consider to come out here to Portland, Oregon for our retreat in the fall. It's October 14 to 17. We just, I, when I wrote the notes for this show, there are five spots left. Oh no, there's only four left because somebody signed up yesterday. That's because it has such a great lineup. It is right in downtown Portland. We have, we're going to have Pilates for runners. Um, someone coming in to, talking about goal setting, both in life and um, athletically, but more kind of on a lifestyle element. Um, there's going to be coaching sessions, yoga, lots of coffee, a trip to Powell's. Unfortunately, not with Ellison because she doesn't live out here anymore. Um, a visit to the Portland Art Museum led by Molly and me, um, my French bulldog, Augie. And Alex um, will be at the welcome reception and the in-person podcast recording party on the first night. And there is a gorgeous, gorgeous race that we're doing on the Sunday of the retreat in the Columbia River Gorge. I um, ran part of the half marathon in October. It is truly breathtaking scenery. So amazing, just in a beautiful part of the country. So please come out and join us. For all the details and to register, go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on events, and in the dropdown, you'll see the Portland retreat. Again, we only have four spots left, and they are going fast. We've sold out about four spots in the past um, two weeks or so. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles and happy reading. Happy reading.